0: This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for October 30th, 2011. The Gospel is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 23, verses 1 through 12. The message is by Father Rick Bowser. In the name of God the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> Now I understand why Father Ron wanted me to have a homily this morning instead of a sermon, you know? Maybe keep it down to 10 minutes or something. Never done that before. Um, It was about mm, Wednesday, Thursday this week when I realized that um, I was going to be preaching three three services this morning in that they had made the Wisconsin game at 8 o'clock. And so... Last night at about 11 o'clock when I was sitting there and it was 37 degree weather yelling my head off and I went to bed last night and I didn't have a voice. And so I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm going to need a voice tomorrow morning or I'm going to have to call Father Ron. So I have a voice so far, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. And by the way, it was a good outcome if you all watch the game. <laughs> it was a lot more fun being in the stadium last night than it was up in Wisconsin last year, that's for sure. Uh, Our scriptures this morning from Joshua, Psalm 43, Thessalonians, Matthew. Um, When I was reading these scriptures, actually these particular scriptures are, um, if I were to choose something I really wanted to preach on, and I were to choose an Old Testament or New Testament scripture, it actually would probably be uh, Matthew 23 and Joshua chapter 3. Because there's some I concepts here that are, I think, extremely important to our understanding of our relationship to the Father and to each other. In Joshua chapter 3, or excuse me, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus says something quite curious to me. He said, you know, on earth, you're not to call anybody rabbi. You're not to call anybody a Instructor, you're not to call anybody a teacher. You're not to call anybody a priest or father. And and it's funny because you call me Father Rick. You know, if I say good morning to you, good morning, St. Andrews. Good morning, Father (laughs) Rick. Yeah, and that curious, and then you know. But what's he talking about here? You know, what's the actual core idea of what he's trying to get across? And as I go back to Joshua chapter three. And we read Joshua chapter 3. It's that story about the children of Israel after wandering for 40 years in the desert, coming the, the old generation dying off and coming to the Jordan River and crossing over to the Jordan River into the promised land to inherit there what God had planned for them from the beginning. And it all it all comes to this point at the Jordan River where it was time to cross were passed through the waters. Now it's interesting to me that this is the very same thing happened to the first generation when they left when they left Egypt. They came to the Red Sea and was always again curious to me why they went through the Red Sea. Because if you look at a map, if you look at a map, it's not a direct route from where they came from in Goshen to go to the Promised Land. Actually, they had to take a southern, quite a southern route and detour to get through the Red Sea. But it was an important idea and concept in God's relationship to us that he take them through the waters of the Red Sea. In essence, giving us the concept of the idea of baptism. And it was time now to baptize the new generation, to take them through the waters of the Jordan. And the way he set it up was also pretty interesting to me. He said, when you get there... Tell the priests and the leaders of the tribes, of the 12 tribes of Israel, and take the Ark of the Covenant and have the priests walk into the Jordan River. And once they walk into the Jordan River, once their feet have touched the waters, then the waters will, will heap up and they'll be able to walk over on dry land. And I'm thinking, you know, if I'm one of the priests and children of Israel say, and say, we look at each other and say, okay, God wants us to walk through the water, but we don't know what's going to happen. We don't even know if we get neck deep in that water, if the is going to, what's going to happen then. We just don't know. But I guess since he's, God has called us to do that, we need to take the initiative. And isn't that interesting how that's how God w- works with us? Whenever God says, I want you to do something, this is what I want you to do, and I don't want you to stand up on the Jordan River and wait for me to move first, so that then you can follow along. I want you to do this, and I want you to walk in the Jordan River, and as you your feet touch the water, I will move in your lives. Well, In this scripture in Joshua, who is to go first? Well, it's the priests and the leaders of each tribe and the ark-bearer. In contrast, to this again to the, to the duties and responsibilities of the leaders of the children of Israel when we get to Matthew chapter 23. Because we're going, fast forward, about 1,500 plus years. And now we've had 1,500 years of the children of Israel, worshiping God and connecting with God and relating with God through the law, in the prophets, but through the law. In Joshua, it was the responsibility of the priest to serve the people and walk through the waters first. By the time we get to Matthew, we had the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees assuming a title Okay, assuming a title and looking at each other and saying, "Wow, you know, God wants us to walk in. Maybe you should walk in, or maybe you should walk." Actually, we would rather just assume the title, take the best seats at the banquet, walk around in our robes, and let everybody think how wonderful we are. This is what had happened in fifteen hundred years. Now, there's <clears throat> these two scriptures. In these two scriptures, God is addressing two fundamental core principles. Well, actually, it's three, but three would be a sermon, and this is a homily. (laughs) So, We're going to talk, first of all, about the two fundamental um, issues, core principles, that Jesus is addressing in the scripture. First one is this, that the world in which we live, all of us, the world in which we live is fundamentally hierarchical. Now the word hierarchy is from the Greek hierarchika, which means the leader of sacred rites, And each of us occupy a position in these hierarchies. We all do. And then these these hierarchies, once they're formed, we call these systems. So we have systems of religion, we have systems of education, we have family systems, we have governmental systems, and they are all based upon a hierarchy. Meaning that there are a few people at the top, it kind of goes out like a triangle, and they govern those who are underneath. Jesus mentions four of these systems when he talks about the rabbis or the religious systems, the teachers, the educational systems, fathers, which are family systems, instructors, which are any relationship we have between those in the, up in the hierarchy and those who are down in the hierarchy. Now, there's not something we need to remember, that when Jesus talks, there's two things that are happening. First, Jesus is speaking to a current crucial situation in the world in which he encounters. That's what's happening here in Matthew 25. In this case, it's the actions, the activities of the scribes and the Pharisees, and in their relationship to the people within the religious system of Judaism of the first century. This is what Jesus is addressing here in Matthew 25. And secondly, we need to remember that when Jesus speaks throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament, whenever he's talking to us, We need to understand that he is God himself, and that when he speaks to current situations, he is talking about what is God's original intent. What was God's original intent? When he set up, or when these hierarchies came into being, family systems, economic systems, religious systems, what was God's original intent? And so when he speaks into the current situation and he talks about God's original intent, there's always this tension between the two. Because what's happening and what God's original intent is, there seems to be a gulf, a valley, a discrepancy between the two. And Jesus says that, yes, I had to give you the law in order for you to understand what, I, what I'm trying to say in terms of what's in your best interest. But you've taken the law, and instead of listening and understanding my original intent and the spirit of the law, you've begun to worship the law itself, and your hearts have become hardened. So here we have two things. We have the hierarchical system, and we have the laws that govern that system. And by the time of Christ, 1,500 years later, this hierarchical system was now governed by the scribes and the Pharisees, and the religious leaders. Now, since the fall of man from the garden, all earthly systems and all earthly systems, including these that the Jews had adopted, these hierarchical principles, was the principle of rule over. So whoever was on top of this system, they ruled over those that were in that system. But remember, that was a result of the fall, and it was never God's original intent. And so that means that the people down in the hierarchy were responsible to serve and sacrifice for the people who are on top of the hierarchy. That was the way the rule over system worked. That was the the way that the Pharisees and the scribes were operating in this religious system. The whole patriarchal system was set up this way. So here's core principle number 1. Jesus is saying this was not God's original intent. <clears throat> that his original intent was it was the responsibility of the one at the top to serve those whom they govern he takes the whole rule over principle and turns it on his head, in saying those who have been given that position of leadership are now responsible to serve those who they are governing. <clears throat> now the second core principle is this. In this hierarchical world in which we live, and since there are those in the positions of authority and those who are, on, who are not, that they derive their authority from God himself. So those who are in those positions, of, like the religious leaders, they derive their authority. They derive their position. They derive what they had as the head of the, that religious system. They derive their, that, from, that authority from God himself. The creator, the sustainer, and the redeemer of all that is seen and unseen. Now think about this for a second. In our earthly systems, for example, of family systems, we're born into them as children. In other words, we're downline. But we grow up to be parents in charge of our own families. We go to school and we are students, but some of us grow up to be teachers. And anyone in any system at the bottom of that system or lower down in that system can attain the top position in that system. However, in our relationship to God, who is the ultimate authority, we don't ever get to be God. That's the only system, our relationship to him, where we don't get to be number one. We don't get to the top of the hierarchy. And it's probably in our best interest that we not do that. Because you see, Satan himself, Lucifer himself, tried to attain that position. He would usurp God's throne, and for that, he was cast out of heaven. And then, in the garden, Adam himself, joined in that rebellion, would have usurped God's throne. And as it turns out, it was neither in Lucifer or Adam's best interest to do that. But here's the thing. God himself does not sit on his throne issuing edicts, punishing disobedience, engendering guilt. That's not what he does. He takes, in trying to explain all of this to the people of his day, Jesus is turning this whole rule-over concept that had ruled the world from the beginning of time on its head. He says, the first, whoever is at the top, will be at the bottom. The first shall be last. He says, the greatest shall be the least. And in order to be in that position, one must be a servant. God implies this to himself. In, that, in chapter, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, he says, God showed his love for us. God himself, the creator and sustainer of the universe, the, the, the authority over everything, God showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He tells us that Jesus didn't come to rule over, he came to serve, to seek, and to save those that were lost. And so here's core, principle number two, that in the end, there's only one ultimate and final authority, and that's God. And when earthly authorities defy, rebel against him or ignore his original intent, that he himself will hold them responsible. That he himself will defend and affirm and heal those who have been ruled over through abuse and neglect. And that he will sustain all of this by his power of his spirit. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. Saith the Lord. And you know what? I'm kind of glad it's set up that way. I'm kind of glad that he's in charge and that he is always and always and everywhere will act in my best interest. I think he's came to really to, to roost, home to roost with me. And I've told this story before, but it's it perfect for this particular place in my sermon. It's story of my daughter Annie, <clears throat> my oldest, who is the definition of a strong-willed child. Um, I mean, I realized when she was like three years old that, um, you know, she was going to be a handful. And that uh, if I set out to break her will and shape it to mine, that wasn't going to be in her best interest, and I might lose that battle. Have any kids like that? Or maybe you were a kid like that, I don't know. But, so Annie grew up and I tried to be the best dad to her I could, but she came to me, she was about 12 years old, she came to me one day and she said, Dad, all the girls in our class are going to ride their bicycles over to the Pony League field and watch the boys play baseball. She said, can I go? Well, you have to understand, at the time I was working for Children's Services, I was a child welfare investigator, and I knew about that part of town. And that was not where I wanted my daughter riding her bicycle, and so I said to her, Annie, no, you know, you didn't say you didn't say to Annie. Well, I don't think so. Or talk to me later. You said no. Okay, clear. No. Okay. Okay, Dad. A couple of days later, I'm riding around with one of the detectives on the other side of town. And I look up, and there's my daughter on her bicycle. And I said to the detective, "Yeah, that's my daughter. She's over here. She's not supposed to be, and I need to talk to her." So we pull up next to her and roll down the window, and, you know, can you imagine your dad pulling up in an you know, uh, unmarked police car with a detective, and she's busted on the wrong side of town, and I said to her, one, I just said to her, I said, Annie, go home. I said, oh, yeah, okay, Dad, yeah, I'm on my way right now, you know. If you hear Annie tell the story, she said from the time I told her to go home and then I got home with probably the longest four hours of her life, but I got home, and I got, came in the house, and I said to Annie, I said, Annie, I want you to get in the car. So she went, she got in the car, and we drove over to the Pony League field. But on the way to the Pony League field, I said, you see that house? I said, I was in that house three nights ago. They busted that house for drugs. I removed three children from that house and had to put them in custody of the, of the state. I said, you see that house? There was a domestic violence case and a shooting in that house about six months ago. And I pointed out a half a dozen houses on that side of town. And I said, Annie, that's why I don't want you over here. Because if you ride over here against my permission, without me, you ride out from underneath my protection. I can't protect you over here by yourself if I don't know you're here. And and, And I remember driving home that day from taking her and thinking to myself, this must be just a little bit how God feels about us how we constantly ride out from underneath his authority and his protection and his provision for our lives. And like I said, I'm kind of glad that he is in charge. Okay, there's one more principle that we're going to talk about. (laughs) That is that in this story, one of my favorite parts of the story is that Here in this story in in Joshua chapter 3, we have the symbolic action of accepting and acknowledging God's authority in our lives. And the symbolic action is that act of passing through the waters. This predates the whole concept of baptism that has come to us in the Christian church. The baptism began with the children of Israel as they walked through the Red Sea. And then the children of Israel walking through the Jordan on dry land. And then Jesus himself coming to the Jordan River to be baptized, and our following him through our own waters of baptism. And the intent here I'm not necessarily commenting here about. Infant baptism versus believer's baptism, or immersion, or pouring, or three times back, or one time forward. I'm not talking about that. That's legalism. I'm talking about the baptiz- results of this baptism on the condition of our hearts. That's what it's all about. It's the symbolic act of our accepting and acknowledging God's authority and his rule in our lives. And in the end, as he says in Matthew 23, verse 11, the greatest among you must be your servant. Whoever promotes himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be promoted. Amen. You were just listening to Come and See. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Anglican Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrew's is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to come and see.